Good morning. Grace and peace to you in the name of our risen and victorious Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. He is risen. I could say that all day. I really could. I could. <laughs> Amen. That's right. My uh, Easter text for this Easter morning is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. The king raised. Jesus did the impossible. He made the impossible come true. I remember when I was a kid, it was 1980, I was 12 years old. And by the way, just me saying that, a third of you are thinking, man, are you young. And then a third are thinking, man, are you old. And then another third, you're just right. (laughs) I'm at that awkward age of 45, you know, it's just, yeah. I remember watching the Olympics. The 1980 Winter Olympics in Birmingham, Alabama, where I grew up, about three hours down the road. And hockey really wasn't big in Alabama, although I liked it. And I remember being fixated on the U.S. hockey team. They weren't supposed to do that well. It was a ragtag group of players, 18, 19, 20 years old, and, but they had a lot of heart. And they ended up beating, you remember who they ended up beating? It shocked the world, the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was considered unbeatable, the best in the entire world. They were pro players, many of them 27, 28, 30 years old. They were considered too good to be beaten. But yet the U.S. Olympic hockey team ended up performing a miracle right there. And I remember on my street, we're all watching the game. And when Al Michaels, remember Al Michaels, the announcer? Still does some football for the Titans and things like that on Monday night. He said, as he counted down the seconds, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, he then said, do you believe in miracles? For the impossible has come true. And then the players, they throw their sticks, they're jumping up and down. And you could hear on my street, like every house, you, you, you heard a collective roar, like, rah! I'll never forget it. And so I think of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who would have thought that Jesus would do things exactly like he said that he would? That he would go against all human logic and wisdom and he would actually rise to life. You know, um, we have some great fears in this life. I've read that the two greatest fears in life are, number one, public speaking. Number two, death. I've always thought that that was amusing. It means at a funeral, people would rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy. (laughs) Isn't that something? But Jesus, when he rose to life, he forever conquered our greatest fears. 
And that's why we celebrate this day. It means sin is a loser. Death is a loser. The devil is a loser. That's why we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. On Easter morning, the scriptures tell us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And a great earthquake occurs. And an angel of the Lord comes down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. And then it says that the guards fainted. I don't blame them. I think that I would have done something like that too. And then the angel, if you look at the text, the angel tells the women, and the angel really tells us four main things that we need to keep in mind this Easter morning. And it will be the basis of my message. First of all, the angel says, don't be afraid. I've always found that interesting in Scripture, too. The angels are always saying that. Don't be afraid. It's easy for them to say, isn't it? (laughs) Here they come out of nowhere. Don't be afraid. So the angels' words are that. You know, we do have fears in this life. I don't know if yours is public speaking or, or if it's death or... Or if it's something else. But I know that when we come inside these doors. And we walk these hallways. And when we leave here. And we go to our neighborhoods. And our places of work. There are things that we all fear. We fear maybe losing a job. Losing income. A health situation. We fear someone saying. I don't love you anymore. We have all of those fears. If you go to Matthew 6, it's a wonderful chapter in the Bible which is about worry, about fear. In Matthew 6, our Lord says, don't worry. That tomorrow has enough to worry concerning itself. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says, look at the lilies. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. If God takes care of them, surely He will take care of you and me. So what is your fear this Easter morning? What is it? Isn't the Jesus of the cross and the Jesus of the empty tomb, isn't He strong enough and powerful enough to see you through those fears? And to conquer those fears? I think a lot of times, our enemy, the devil, he uses fear to keep us from doing things that God wants us to do. You agree with that? Yeah. That's why there are so many fear not phrases in the Bible. Somebody once counted them up. I'll have to count them up myself to be sure. But I have heard that there are literally 365 Fear not phrases in the Bible. That's interesting, isn't it? That's one fear not for every day of the year. Jesus says, fear not, I am with you. I am with you always, even until the end of time. 
We can believe that because of Easter. Because He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. The resurrection doesn't give us fear. The resurrection gives us faith. It gives us joy. The angel's second message to the ladies and also to us this Easter is this. The angel says, he isn't here. He isn't here. The resurrection really happened. Now, there are people who doubt that the resurrection really happened. In fact, I read a poll that in the year 2013... 64% of Americans believe that the resurrection happened. Now, actually, that sounded like a lot to me. I thought it would be far worse. But just a generation ago, it was around 94%. You see how far we've fallen from believing the truth about the resurrection? In fact, I read that most people today in percentages, believe there was a conspiracy to kill JFK. More people believe in a conspiracy with that than believe in the resurrection. Maybe you are wondering if it's true. Is it? Here's what the scriptures say. That Jesus appeared to the Marys at the tomb. We read about that. The scriptures say that Jesus appeared to Peter in Jerusalem. So we have to think, are the Marys making it up? Is Peter making it up? We know that Jesus appeared to the two travelers on the road to Emmaus. Were they making it up? And Jesus also appeared to his disciples and then also including Thomas. We remember Thomas as what? What's the one-word summary of Thomas? If somebody were asking you, hey, describe Thomas in one word, what would it be? Doubter. I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound a little odd at first. Thank God for Thomas. You know why? Because Thomas speaks for all of the doubters of today. Thomas doubted. But even Thomas, being that doubter, being that skeptical person that he was... Remember, he put his hands in the wounds of Christ. And he said he wouldn't believe unless he did that. He saw the risen Christ and and touched the wounds. And then he was able to say, I believe. I believe. Maybe you have felt like Thomas. You don't know if you believe. Well, Thomas speaks for you. He says, you can believe. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Was Thomas making it all up? I mean, hey, he was a doubter at first. Then he was even convinced. And then the scriptures tell us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the same time. Were all 500 and something people lying? Were they all able to get their story straight like that? And then what about the first century historian? Maybe you've heard of him, Josephus. He speaks of Jesus. And he had no dog in the fight. But yet he talks about Jesus being living and alive. 
Is he making it all up? You see, it actually takes more faith not to believe in Easter than it does to believe. Our God is living. Our God is active in our world today because of Easter. My last church, the name of the church, was Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And I love the fact that now my new church is our Savior. Our Savior is with us. He's with us. There was a belief in the 18th century that was very prominent. It was called deism. And deism is a belief that, yes, there is a God. Yes, he made everything, he created everything, but he's a distant God. He's a God who doesn't care so much. He's a God who's not involved in our everyday lives. But he's a God who sits back and he watches time and events unfold. There are people who believe that today. Oh yeah, there's a creator, but I, I don't really know if he's really active in my life. But he is. He is. That's what Easter means. He's alive and active in our lives. The third message of the angels was this. Come and see. The angel said, come and see. The women could come and see that the tomb was empty. There was verifiable evidence that the tomb was empty. You ever think, boy, I would love some evidence that Jesus were alive and active in my world today. I would really love some evidence. And I think we go through times like that. But in three great ways, God gives us evidence that Jesus is alive and on the job. First of all, God makes himself known to us through creation. It's what I talked about in the children's message. I think of our state of Tennessee, and now I've had the pleasure of living in all three major sections of Tennessee. Recently, I was in Memphis, and Memphis is very flat. But yet there's something very beautiful about the topography of it being flat like that. You can see the sunrise and the sunset for miles and miles away. But then as you travel eastward, you start to see the hills and you see the valleys. And as you get even further eastward towards Knoxville, you see even bigger mountains, right? And the Great Smoky Mountains. Tennessee is a beautiful state and now I can say it, Nashville is the prettiest part of the state. <laughs> but creation does speak to us. And it's another way that Jesus says, see, I'm alive. I'm real. I made all of this for you. Another way that God reveals his reality to us is through conscience. 
You ever feel like somebody's telling you or tapping you on the shoulder, hey, that's wrong? You know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Romans 2 verse 15 says this, God's law is written upon our hearts. Have you found it funny that a two-year-old, I mean, it's not really funny, but I I can sort of say this because I have three kids. You know, a two-year-old can hit another two-year-old and then all of a sudden they feel a little guilty about it. They're looking around, did somebody see that? Somebody see that? Now, now, how do they know that that's wrong? How do they know? Because the Bible says that God has written his law, his truth, upon our hearts. So even a two-year-old can sense that, hey, that was wrong, what I did. That was wrong. God speaks to us. Through our conscience, through the law, through his word, through the gospel. And lastly, God makes himself known to us through the word. In fact, one of the neatest names for Jesus, our risen Lord, is simply the word. I've always loved that name for Jesus. It says in John 20, verse 21, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. God also makes himself known in a number of other ways. Through the smile of a friend. Through words of encouragement from someone. By healing, by a provision of a a job just when you needed it. All of these ways, God is saying, I'm real. Jesus Christ rose to life. I'm real. And I love you. The last message from the angel to the women and to us was this. Go quickly and tell. Go quickly and tell. The women were not supposed to keep this joy bottled up inside. They were to share the message. You know what I think the the biggest problem of the Christian church today is? It's it's not necessarily the, the color of the paint on the walls or the status of the carpet or anything like that. The biggest danger for the Christian church today is a sense of complacency. That we don't have a sense of urgency about what really matters. Let me pose it like this. God forbid this ever happens. And I even have to buy a house in Nashville first. Our home is still waiting to sell in Memphis. But Let's say that my house, God forbid, is burning down. And let's say I see the smoke and I see the fire. And my three kids are there and my wife is there. And instead of trying to get them all out of the house and and rescuing them, I'm more concerned about, you know what? I think this picture on my wall needs to be tilted a little bit to the left. Oh, you know what? I forgot to clean the restroom. 
Oh, you know what? I, I didn't vacuum the carpet. Oh, I need to take the trash out. Now, we would all say all of those things are important. They're very important. But when the house is burning down, what's the most important thing? What is the sense of urgency? Is to save those lives. To save those souls. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he lives... And because he's coming back again, that should give us a sense of urgency to focus on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go therefore, as our text says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. For surely I am with you, even until the end of time. It's so great to uh, be a new pastor and be here for Holy Week and for Easter. I look forward to getting to know every single one of you. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm humbled by it. And I can tell you that as your pastor, everything that I do is going to bend towards reaching people with Jesus Christ. Because you know what? A lot of people's houses are burning down. And they need a rescue. They need Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. So everything that I do is going to bend to that. And I'm going to challenge you too that everything that you're about bends to that. Because he's risen. And we want to share that message with the world. The time to do it is now. Not later. It's now. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.